Hello there, and welcome to the third episode of uh, Mason and YB After Dark. Although it's a little brighter out for me today, uh, weather just seems to be breaking. But you've got me, Mason from Buffalo, and YB from South Korea. How are you doing today, YB? Uh, doing all right, I suppose. Like it's it's not my bedtime yet. At least my personal bedtime. It's midnight here or in Korea, and it is after dark for me. So I think at least it fits one part of the description. <laughs> hey, with the weather I've had lately, it was almost always after dark for me as well. <laughs> I condolence this. So uh, on our last episode, that you unfortunately had to miss due to some. Uh, extenuating work circumstances uh we went over the super bowl hey you know (laughs) you gotta keep it pc and corporate right we're just trying to fit the mold yeah we're trying to trying to make a living i guess (laughs) like the the sacrifices we make yeah because unfortunately amateur podcasting ain't paying the bills for anybody so yeah isn't that right eric anyway (laughs) (laughs) uh eric if you heard this text us sasquatch thank you very much uh so uh we 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 got to take uh some time talking about the super bowl that unfortunately you missed out on so i figure we'll take some time off the top here to let you get some thoughts in about the game itself as well well first of all i do remember because of the time difference that the super bowl sunday is technically always super bowl monday here where i am in korea and so as some of you may be aware there's a large u.s army uh, military base in korea and so super bowl slash uh, super bowl quote monday is almost i as far as i know is always like the kind of like the day off for the u.s personnel like military personnel based in korea and so super bowl uh, the Super Bowl kicked off local time at 8:30 a.m., and so I headed out of my ho- I headed out of my house bright and early at 6 a.m. to head to uh, Itaewon, which is basically the f- kind of where all the foreigners gather for any festive occasion in Seoul. And I got to the bar. I got to one of the uh, one of the bars that was like sports bars that was showing the place at around 7:15, and the place was already half full. So, <laughs> so it. It is a glorious occasion to get drunk in the morning and watch football and curse Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> it was a, it was a glorious occasion, and it's it's a testament to the, how like they've been like you know the NFL has been trying to expand in Europe and in uh, Latin America now. If I remember correctly, they have a game in Brazil next season, and I think they do they, indeed. And I think they're doing like uh, kind of like a like not quite as full force as those two regions, but they've been trying to spread the NFL to. Uh, the Asian region as well, and I'm gl- I'm grateful for it. The bar was packed by like an hour before kickoff, and I had a great time watching it. Uh, my wife didn't appreciate me uh, leaving her with the kid like like unannounced at 6 a.m. But I took. It. But that was those are the sacrifices we make. As for the game itself, um, like the Niners had so many opportunities, I think, to win the game, and like it wasn't obviously it wasn't a blow up by any stretch of the imagination, but like I agree with the general sentiment that Andy Reid and Steve Spagnolo definitely outcoached Kyle Shanahan. And I think on that crit I think well, some of the criticism that I've seen is comes to that on the final Niner drive on 
I think it was near the goal line. I feel like it was the first final drive in regulation, or if it was the final drive in overtime for the Niners, but where basically the Kyle Shanahan scheme like has the center adjust the protection protection. The quarterback doesn't do that. And obviously I think Kyle Shanahan didn't quite trust Brock Purdy with that. And that's I think why Kyle Shanahan always almost always brought in Alex Mack, who was a very intelligent center wherever he went, but now Alex Mack is retired. And Something broke down in protection, and basically they couldn't quite get the hot route off. And you give Patrick Mahomes a chance to score a touchdown when they've scored a field goal, and they'll do that, especially because in the second half, Mahomes basically began to figure out the Niner defense, if you will. I question some of Steve Wilkes' blitz packages at certain opportune times. Like I think they blitzed Mahomes like twice or three times on third down situations, and Mahomes made them pay every time. So it's kind of it's kind of a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation with a quarterback like Patrick Mahomes. But on the whole, the Niners had so many chances to win the game, and I think they, I think some of the game planning was also kind of kind of um, sketchy, if you will, because the hot route on so many on so many occasions when the Chiefs splits was Debo Samuel and. I didn't notice until after the game, but if you look at Debo Samuel's uh, splits, he's you know he's a phenomenal player. Like you get the ball in his hands, he's a superstar. But he's not a great route runner, especially in man-to-man situations, and especially compared to the other wide receiver that the Niners have in Brandon Ayuk, who is much much better at route running and getting separation in man situations. And I think the Niners didn't quite like pull out all the stops and i mean the game ended in a three point it was a three-point game at the end so it wasn't like the niners made every single mistake and in the first half they were very much dominant it's just that they didn't quite get the points they needed to kind of put some distance between the, the chiefs and themselves and so it was an opportunity lost for kyle shanahan and the niners and for them like uh, an offseason awaits where i think like Ayuk is obviously like kind of rumbling about a new con, rumbling about getting his first big contract. Like there are questions about like George Kittle is one year older and also uh, injured at inopportune times. Despite the fact that I love the man, like it's it's a, it's going to be a transitional year, and I'm, I'm not sure if the Niners will have a better chance than they did this year. And the on the other side, like this this Super Bowl, I think belonged more so to Steve Sagnolo and that defense, because that defense played absolutely phenomenal throughout the course of the postseason. Like, Legereus Need and Trent McDuffie, like, two, like, basically, I would I would say that they're the best corner tandem in the NFL. It remains to be seen what happens with Snead because he's a free agent. And Chris Jones, like, remember in week one when he was, you know, he was in the press box? And that's all forgotten now, because Chris Jones made the big plays against Buffalo and against against the Niners because he was the one that was in Purdy's face on that critic on that critical third down. So the Chiefs got the most out of both the veterans they had and the rookies they picked up. Karloftis played extremely well. Like the linebackers Nick Bolton and Drew Tranquil who they picked up in a very shrewd deal from the Chargers. They played I think defensive side at least I think played better than the sum of its parts. And the Chiefs were Maybe not convincing winners of the Super Bowl, but I think they were deserving winners because they were the ones that, even if their trademark, like high-flying Patrick Mahomes-led offense, kind of sputtered this year, they 
transitioned on the fly, basically, and leaned into that strength on their defense, especially in the secondary, and managed to pull it off. And Mahomes, despite the fact that maybe this was considered down year for him, managed to fi- managed to finally managed to kind of figure out ways to win. And I think that's what we asked superstar quarterbacks to do. Like, so obviously it's not uh it's not pleasant for me to say it, as I'm sure you're very well aware. But the Chiefs, like, they deserve their win. Like, they and congrats to them. Like, they've won now. What was it? Three and five. So they're definitely now a dynasty. They're like no more of that dynasty of one uh, joke that was prevalent just two years ago. And like next year, who knows what will happen? But as long as Mahomes is there and uh, Taylor Swift's boyfriend decides to keep playing because he's having too much fun. They're gonna be. They're gonna be. They gotta be considered the top dog in the AFC. Like, there's no way around it. Pains me to say it, but that's a, that's how it is. Yep, it's super hurtful, but it's uh, it is what it is until proven otherwise. Because no one's proven it. <laughs> yeah, the, like the only the only couple of occasions that it was proven was obviously in that Super Bowl. The O line was basically basically like. A JVO line, and like, <laughs> yep. And the yeah. and the other time they got taken out by the Bengals after they had literally given everything they had to offer in like, the game beforehand. That that yeah, that game that that AFC title title game still kind of it still kind of boggles my mind how the hell that happened because in the first half the the Chiefs were absolutely absolutely kicking the Bengals' ass all, like all the way down the field. <laughs> they really were, man. Like it was, I was watching that game, and about halfway through the second quarter, I was like, "I can be done with this now." Bye. <laughs> I mean, I can't. I, I won't deny that that was that was kind of what I was feeling as well at the time. I, and if and who knows if Tyree Kill had scored on at the end of the first half, I think it would be a completely different conversation. But like they managed to pull it off, and then Mahomes. I don't know what happened at the halftime, but. Patrick Mahomes decided to play the worst half of his career, and so there was that. I would take that one time. It'd be nice if that <laughs> happens. <laughs> <laughs> oh now, man! Well, relax. We could, we could both, we could be the, we could be Chargers fans. It could be worse. Yeah, we could. We could be Eric. Um. So. <laughs> oh. <laughs> You need to think uh, life with Eric. You got these. You got these jokers as your friends. Like <laughs> creating episodes. Yeah. Of yeah. Oh man. I mean, but stop liking the Chargers so much. That's literally all we're trying to ask you to do is is just just don't put your heart and soul into them anymore. I mean, the Broncos already break your heart enough. You really want to keep going with the Chargers too? Like, pick someone better. I really, I don't think I've ever seen a person who has two teams that are in the same division as that he roots for. Like, I think that's a new one on me. But I like, and, and that both are at this point abject failures. Well, yeah, that too. But I mean, <laughs> one he was born into, so I, I mean, I can't help that. But no, that's fair. the second team as the Chargers. Like, that's a more questionable decision. And that's yeah, like, man, I could, I couldn't imagine choosing the Jets, the Dolphins, or the Patriots. Yeah, I can't. I mean, just just likewise, I can't imagine she's choosing the Ratbirds, the the Steelers, or the Brownies. Like, it ain't happening. At this point, I can't imagine anyone choosing the Browns. <laughs> uh, 
Well, and, and uh, one thing uh, we definitely didn't really get around to the last time uh, mm-hmm. that I think you and I should touch on is the halftime show. Yeah, I, I, personally, I don't think it was necessarily one of the best that I've seen, um, but it definitely was up there. It was really good. I, I liked a lot of like the visuals that were applied. Yeah. I liked a lot of like the choreography and stuff like that. I thought mm-hmm. song choices weren't always great, and maybe like the delivery wasn't always super on point. Ludacris was awesome. Ludacris, that was fun. Ludacris and Lil Jon were awesome. Like. Yeah, I mean, it, I think Usher, like I think Usher put a lot of like thought into like into what he wanted to do. Like you mentioned, some of the song choices. Like, I mean, I'm personally more of a fan of his like very much earlier like songs like "My Way" or "You Make Me Wanna." Like, but I think we all expected that like the main the main event of the show would be uh, him bringing back Lil Jon and Ludacris and <laughs> basically playing that song that was basically, I think, the most successful song of the 2000s, if I'm being perfectly honest. Like, I mean, I probably got some of the most club play of any song. Like, even if you don't know any of the names we've set up until this point, you've heard that song. <laughs> yeah, you've, you've heard that, like, you've heard that, like, like opening, like, opening, like, beat. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Like, yeah. Hey, down. Yeah. Everyone's heard it. It's not. It's not a question. Yeah, like I think. I think. I, uh, Alicia Keys was a little bit shaky, but I, on the whole, I think that I think like it. The play, the piano, and the Usher segment worked. Like the rollerblades part, I thought was pretty. I thought was pretty cool. I'm not gonna lie. Like, I yeah, no, no, I mean, again, they're really catering to our generation right now. I know. Like, we were we were discussing this in group chat how like. It, like Two years ago, it was it was Dre, Snoop, and Kendrick. Like, oh, like that's, that's so good. Among, that's that's on, that's on the rushboard of like the halftime shows. And then well, last year, I think well, last year was uh, Rihanna, wasn't it? Yes, last year was Rihanna. Last year was Rihanna. This year, Usher. So like they're obviously they're making they're kind of like putting going back into the well of late '90s, like 2000s, like the big stars from that era. So you and I were discussing potential, you know, future uh, halftime show performers. We did, we did make a funny joke about how, like, if the Chiefs make it there one more next year, God forbid, then Taylor Swift might God interrupt forbid. the might interrupt the halftime show to play to like, kind of play like a a gorilla a gorilla track for her boyfriend slash husband question mark. Oh my God! How amazing would it be if she did it like Kanye did to her? <laughs> can, can you just imagine, like they, like I, Kanye probably wouldn't do a halftime show. Like I don't think it's kind of what he's up, what he's like down for at this point. Not point. only would Kanye not do a halftime show, the NFL is not anywhere near crazy enough to give that man live air. Uh, well, the NFL will do many things for uh, ratings and money, so. I mean, they will, but his propensity to say wildly inflammatory things on live television is well known at this point. (laughs) This is true, but think about it, though. Like, and I think it would be like, but that would be the most hilarious mic drop. (laughs) It would be the most hilarious thing if they give the halftime show to Kanye West. Kanye somehow decides that he wants to do it, and then Taylor Swift interrupts the show. To pay pay back the pay back the pay back Kanye for what he did in space, which is you know the Taylor Swift uh, repertoire. 
to it really past, is past grievances in full and, and it turns out this was the conspiracy all along it wasn't some weird political thing or some Pfizer thing she dated Travis Kelsey just so she could get Kanye to the halftime show and ruin it for him I would not put that past past Taylor Swift at all whatsoever <laughs> <laughs> if this is a plan, we applaud you, Taylor. We're all very proud of you. <laughs> if that's the NFL's plan, like, I mean, the script goes over time, but I digress. Yeah, man, the script writer at that point, he needs like bonuses, raises, everything you can give him, all the money. All the money, all the money. <laughs> like Jerry Jones's like, locker. Give him Jerry Jones's locker, whatever. But in that regard, we were discussing some that we thought would be awesome from our generation that maybe be at least a slightly more likely to do it than happen. Yeah. Like you know, we were I mean we were discussing several options. Like obviously, I mean, obviously we mentioned Bruno Mars, although he's already done it before, but I think I think Bruno, because of the style of music that he does, like I think he'd be up for, you know, have a full set as opposed to being part of an part of a menagerie. But on, on another op- you mentioned another option I think that harkens back really to the late nineties. Uh, <laughs> you mentioned Matchbox oh. Twenty, which Oh yeah, Matchbox Twenty. That I mean yeah, because with that too, you could get a lot of artists from Rob Thomas's solo album as well. Right. Like Carlos Santana, yeah. right? You know, Matt, like there's a lot yeah. of people you could come in and do a huge Awesome medley, I think, around Matchbox Twenty. Oh yeah, like I'm, I, I enjoyed the Matchbox Twenty songs when, like, when in the begin, in like their, especially in the early stages of their career. Like, it might be a little bit like it, depending on the songs they do. Like, it might be a little kind of kind of feel like, what's the word? What's the word phrase I'm looking for? Kind of like a, kind of like Coldplay, where it's not like it doesn't completely get you like up and like. Like in the festive mood, but it's still, still a good song. You're not wrong. The only real problem, as you're alluding to with Matchbox 20, is it isn't really a high energy style of music. Right. That was the, that was kind of like the issue I had with the Coldplay performance as well. So, but but that's why again, I think another one of the suggestions I had, I think, fits the bill a little bit better, and that's Blink 182. Blink 182, right. And then you also had Offspring, which I thought was an awesome suggestion as well. If the if the Offspring were to do it, like I like, it would really take me back to like the. Well, I mean, I'm I'm aging. I'm giving away my age here, but you know, the elementary school days, like elementary school, middle school days, like the late '90s. So, yeah, the Offspring, like like their music, like some of the message is a little bit dark, obviously, but. The, in terms of like how the music sounds and how it plays and how it affects people, like, I think they'd be a, I think they'd be a good for it. Although they might be a bit past their prime, so maybe. <laughs> like, but I mean, that seems to be a little bit of where kind of like Super Bowl artists come in is is like there might not be like hitting as hard as they used to, but there you know still a little bit of popularity left in there. Right. And honestly, I think just that would be a, a really neat halftime show of. Like a few of those like pop punk style bands, right? Uh, and do like the multiple stage setup, like a warp tour style thing. I mean, that would bring so many of us back to like our concert going days, you know, right, where right. where you've got like the three stages and you know they're 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 moving between them and stuff. Like that would be a, a really neat show and something I'm certain that 
and the NFL in their infinite money pool has had somebody think of already. So do it. Go do it. Do the thing. I think I think the I think the craziest idea that came up during our group chat was basically having like the the one hit wonders of the '90s all come together oh. for one well for one stage. Like it probably wouldn't lift the crowd up, but it'd be a, it'd be a very hilarious trip down memory lane. So that what Semisonic, Marcy Playground, uh, who else am I? Who oh, else would uh, uh, Eagle Eye Cherry. I think Eagle we got Cherry. in there. Right, right. Uh, new radical <laughs> shout out Dan Anzis. Uh, Ooh yeah, I mean there there if we actually went and dove back through like a '90s playlist, you would find like sixty percent of it were bands you've only heard of once and maybe never actually heard of their name. Exactly, yeah, <laughs> Man, so. there's there's so many good ones to pull from there. Uh, I think we also <laughs> threw out Oasis <laughs> as a, a possible <laughs> one. As a possible one, because that's how the NFL might roll, and I, I think in the end we decide we came to the conclusion that the NFL, in its infinite wisdom, next year will bring in Nickelback and Creed. <laughs> that's yes, and that's what it is. Scott Stapp will show up and sing with arms wide open with a Nickelback backing, and <laughs> it will be the most cursed halftime show we've seen since Left Shark. Oh God. <laughs> well, I mean. I mean, I can think of another one more uh, cursed performance in terms of the Super Bowl, but that's you know, that's <laughs> that goes beyond music at that point. <laughs> yes, that was yeah. There, there was some other things happening. Although again, Life Shark did too, just not in quite the same way. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. I, 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 so just one last thought on the Life Shark thing, and then we can move on to actual football. I want the courage of the human being who got in that costume and got on that stage that day. I want that amount of confidence in myself to go out on the, a national platform in front of millions of people knowing I have no fucking idea what's happening and just doing it anyway. Like, I want, I want that confidence in me. That is exactly what we aspire to be in our everyday lives, you know? Exactly, man. It's that, that kind of just emotional fortitude. Um, you don't know what's going on, but you're gonna go give it your damn best. And, well, I mean, we. Do, I mean, if we wear a if we wear a mask like we did in our COVID days, we might be a little bit more courageous. But I digress. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, you came up with a pretty excellent thought exercise uh, we're going to do here today. So why don't you get us kicked off with that? Yeah, sure. So what the idea we had like, that I had, like, in, because we wanted to come up with a new con new idea for our two-man weave was that, like, we obviously root for teams that are in competition with one another. I root for the Bengals, you root for the Bills. It's easy to kind of we, because we're plug we're mostly plugged into the news that we have like regarding our fan base and the people that kind of go deep into the team and uh, offseason moves. But we wanted to kind of we want to kind of flip the exercise a little bit and kind of do a little of shall we say enemy scouting. So basically, we take a, like in my case, I take a look at the Bills roster, their their uh, upcoming free agency decisions and whatnot, and then kind of think and kind of like say to you where I think like what I perceive to be like areas that the bills like might have a bit of issue or like moving forward. And then you can confirm or, or kind of refute that, that opinion and kind of do a little bit of 
diving into the team so and kind of get an outside perspective as well so like so so you and i basically we looked at each other like the respective teams that we root for kind of and then kind of try to see like what holes that i see like what possible what potential issues that i see could happen to them and then based on our respective our respective uh knowledge of our teams and our situations we can elaborate on that detail so like it because i'm the one that like came up with the idea of the exercise i think i might as well do go first and kind of give you my opinion on what the bills look like in terms of their offseason decisions and what they have to do and like Right now, like currently, we, after, before doing nothing, the Bills are. Let me, if I'm reading this correctly, they are, uh, fifty-one million dollars over the cap. Like before doing it, like before doing, you know, the cap manipulations and whatnot. And I've, I've, like fiddled with over the cap and what. And Josh Allen contract is eminently like malleable for that purpose, so you can get a lot of room. And but. And I would assume that Naheem Hines will probably be cut because James Cook has established himself. One, yeah, that that's one reason. And the second reason is that Hines had a pretty unfortunate accident, I think, and that really doesn't bode well for a running back that relies a lot on quickness. Diggs is like, and in terms of the receiving core, like Gabe Davis is a free agent. Like you've heard, you've told me that Gabe Davis is. Like very like beloved in the locker room in terms of because he does the dirty work in addition to being a very explosive player when he's on, but like the only receiver that's really locked up for long term is Diggs and that like before the end of this season you would you would have thought great that's not really a big deal but the last that was the second half of this season is kind of, I think makes the contract look a little less appealing than it would have before and so and, and because. Restructuring Dix's contract can give you a lot of room this season, but if that's the case, then you're gonna get hit hard later on when Dix really actually does fall off. And other and because Gabe Davis is now a free agent, like the only reliable options you have in the receiving core are Khalil Shakir and uh, the two tight ends. And Dawson Knox is being paid close to fifteen million dollars, which is I mean, Dawson Knox is a good player, but I don't know if $15 million is the right going rate for Dawson Knox, if I'm being perfectly honest. And then the O-line, I think, is still relatively set, except that I think, like, you like I, you know better, this better than I do, but Mitch Morse, like, his concussion history really would scare you, and he has one year left on his deal, so... it's And it's a pretty hard hit at $11.5 million, at million, so I think that's something... Like it's normally you would extend the guy, but his injury history makes that a little bit less appealing. So, but at least the O line, like you have most of the starters that are pretty much entrenched. So that's a that's a plus. But on the other side, Von Miller's <laughs> contract runs for four more years, and I would I would assume that he's being he's a June a post June one release because outright cutting him doesn't do your salary cap any favors. But if you go post June 1, then you do get cap savings and I think Von Miller is cooked to be perfectly honest. And ah. and then after <laughs> Yeah, well, you can elaborate on that when you get when you get the real opportunity. Yeah, and then, sorry, and just, then, the noise just came out. <laughs> and also and also like in addition to like the like Greg Rousseau, like I would assume his fifth year option gets picked up. Like it's gotten picked up if I'm not well, actually I don't know about that, but and then 
AJ Epinesa, who was a very big contributor for the Bills this season, is a free agent. Like, and I, Jordan Phillips is also a free agent. Like, a lot of the depth pieces on the D line are free agents, and so you need an uh, you need an influx. <laughs> I think the defensive side is where a lot of concern is going to be had regarding the Bills. Although, if although to be fair, they managed to cobble a pretty good defense together. After get after basically getting hit with an atomic bomb in, of injuries, so <laughs> I, would, I would assume like that. I I think they can get through it, but Matt Milano is going to be there for all. But who knows what will happen? Who knows what how Milano looks after that pretty serious leg injury? But on the plus side, you do have Terrell Bernard locked up for two more years, so that's that's a plus. But Leonard Floyd is gone. That's another contributor you have to replace. And then in the secondary, like I know from experience, how losing two valuable safeties like can very much destabilize the defense. And uh, Micah Hyde is a free agent, and Jordan Poyer, I think he has one year left. But like, I think Poyer is also like potentially a cut candidate. And 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 then Tre'Davious White, like I think I don't know what I don't know what the Buffalo opinion right now is on Tre'Davious White because I don't think he's a problem per se, but. Is he worth the money that he's getting paid, like sixteen million a year, when he when you take into consideration his injury history? Like that's a that's a fifty fifty decision. And the rest of the corners, to be perfectly honest, with the exception of Christian Benford, are rather unconvincing. So it doesn't help that Kareem was not a great draft pick. And then finally, I don't know if you want to react really like. So like react so like emotionally to what was pretty much what was a very brutal ending. But Tyler Bass like before like Tyler Bass I like I haven't looked at the stats, but he's been a pretty solid kicker as far as I understand, and he's locked up for four more years. So I don't know what you gotta gotta do with it because the public sentiment and emotions are might be somewhat uh damning towards Tyler Bass, but. I think if you look past like that one very, um, admittedly very uh, scarring moment, it would be. I I don't think it's a bad idea to keep Tyler Bass around, to be perfectly honest. So, on the whole, I think because you have Josh Allen and like Diggs lo- Diggs locked up and the O line locked up, and you have your starting running back on a cheap contract for two years, the offense I think will be fine for the most part. They just need to get a solid pass catcher in there to supplement Diggs and Kincaid. But the defensive side, I think, is where I'd be very, I'd be pretty worried. Like it would it would look very different at the very least. Like that's my viewpoint on it, just by looking at the limited games I've seen of the Bills and the contract table. So I mean, I, I would say <laughs> you've done a, a pretty good job overall uh, on most of your talking points there. Um, I think Gabe Davis is probably the biggest question mark right now on offense is what are they going to do about him? Right. Um, because he's not going to be playing the same salary that he was playing at for such for, for the past four years. Like if he's getting exactly he's be better, bigger and so realistically what he's what's likely going to need to happen is he's going to have to take a deal like Matt Milano took where he's not getting paid what his market value is, he's deciding he wants to stay. Mm. If he's not going to do that, I don't know that I necessarily see him sticking around, Um, which does mean that we need to find kind of another 
big bodied receiver. Cause that's really the role that we were hoping he was going to fill was that outside guy who can high point people, you know, and the, the hands thing kind of made that a little tough on occasion. <laughs> overall, I'd say it wasn't like the most unsuccessful pickup and I'm sure whatever team ends up with him, maybe the Bengals, who knows, uh, will enjoy him and his services as much as we have. I mean, for a fourth rounder, I think he played pretty, if he played, like at least two expectations. Like he's, I mean, can, considering the amount of playing time he had, considering the amount of impact he had in in extremely big games. Yeah, he well outplayed his draft position. I mean, yeah, that's one that's you don't expect to even have to hit the field. Right. Much less have four right. touchdowns in one playoff game. Yeah. So. Um. And and but again, I think the offense overall. Is is much less of an issue as far mm-hmm. as like roster concerns and stuff like that. And, and I, again, the defense is definitely where I think um, the contracts that are ending right now, especially up at the front of the defense, are, aren't as big of an issue as maybe it necessarily looks like, because okay. most of those contracts that are ending were already one or two year contracts that he got on the cheap that Brandon Bean managed to get on the cheap in the first place because they were guys who wanted to come back to Buffalo or wanted to come to Buffalo to play who already weren't like super high value guys. And I know that some of them have probably upped their value a little bit in their time here, but I think that the, at least the preponderance of them are still kind of at a level where the right team could negotiate a really team friendly contract with them for one or two years. And Brandon Bean does a really, really good job with that. And so I would imagine we're going to see at least one or two of those people coming back and playing here still, as long as um, our front office sees the value in the the talent that's left. And a few of them definitely still have it. So, you know, which ones he's going to want to keep, I think will probably... That that will be hard to tell because I think that will depend a lot on what he sees is available in the draft as well. And also so in, like I also in free agency, like in terms of outside it, players as well. So. Exactly. Like I think that that determination probably waits until there's some certainty in what's going to happen. The Von Miller situation has unfortunately worked out to be mostly a disaster. Right. But, you know, it's what you get when you're paying for an aging player. And frankly, it's not it's not necessarily that his play didn't live up to it. It's when you take another injury like that at the age that he is like, yeah, coming back, especially at the position where you need that explosiveness and stuff like it's it is what it is like it's it's uh, it was a good shot. It didn't work out. Um, the, I think if I was looking, if we tried to get rid of him this year, the cap hit would be fairly large, but not unmanageable mm. to where by like next year, we could shed almost all of it. Um, yeah. so, and that might be a decision that gets made because I, I, there's no real reason to keep him on the roster considering he made almost no contribution while he was available. Right. Uh, yeah, that, um, that'd be what that'd be what worries me in that regard. So I would assume Von Miller's gone. Yeah, I would assume so too. Um, the one thing you brought up is one of the bigger biggest concerns uh, is definitely the agreement of the the safety tandem of Hyde and Poyer. I mean, they have been an absolute rock of our defense for six years now, seven years. Like mm-hmm. they came in 
together during the Rex Ryan era, and they have been back there kicking ass and being, I mean, honestly, probably the best safety tandem in the league throughout most of that seven-year span. Maybe not like the best safeties personally, but the combination of the two. I don't know that there are many safety tandems out there that do as quality of a job as they do over the course of seasons. One safety tandem I would probably put up there with them was the safety tandem that left Cincinnati in last offseason, but I digress. Right. That was that. No, you're not wrong. That was an incredible safety tandem as well. There, I mean, and there's there's a couple others throughout the league that are definitely right. notable as well. It's, oh, yeah. it's definitely not just them, but but I mean, to, to for seven years to be at least within the top five of safety tandems all yeah, yeah. seven years, like that's an incredible run, and that is going to be an enormous loss to see them walk away and try to replace because at least one of them is probably leaving. Uh, Jordan Poyer has flirted with the thought of retirement on a number of occasions. So who knows when that's coming. Um, And again, considering the neck injuries and the shoulder injuries that both of them keep taking and concussions, like I wouldn't be surprised at, at neither of them playing football after this last year or, uh, you know, maybe one more. Um, And as far as the white sentiment in Buffalo is concerned, I think that the overarching uh, thought right now is mostly that um, we're we're just not sure what to think, honestly. Like he's been injured too many times now. He's, and and I like there's almost no possible way he's going to be the top five cornerback he was right. when he first got hurt. It just like it doesn't seem like that's a possibility any longer. Um yeah. especially now he's up in there in age, right? He's like 28, 29. Yeah, yeah. And and we honestly have a lot of other pretty good cornerbacks. The one thing he he absolutely has going for him in Buffalo is Buffalo loves Tredavious White. He's a really silly dude. He's a lot of fun. He's absolutely loved here. Like he he does a lot of really goofy stuff that that is really well received. Um, and then the, the one t- that, was, that was on for the coin toss, right? Was it? Was that? No, no, wait. That was Jerry Alexander. Never mind. Yeah, yeah. And then um, Tyler Bath. Uh, I think that for the most part. Um, he's not really catching a whole lot of flack around here. Mm-hmm. Um, he like, obviously the immediate aftermath of the game was pretty heavily sentimented towards what the hell. And you know, what do we need to get rid of this guy? What does he do? I don't blame the person. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, again, the immediacy of that, but um, he, he, I, he's genuinely been one of the most consistent kickers in the NFL for I mean he's on his rookie contract so his whole career <laughs> well not anymore you know not anymore no that this year this year was was towards the end of it he definitely yeah, yeah. had some things going on and I don't know if it was an issue with him having an injury and um uh, an issue with like if if that was something or I know that like a lot of kicking for sure is a head game like yeah, it's it's can you be in the right headspace to do this? It, because again, like I got to imagine, practically every professional soccer player could kick a fifty to sixty yard field goal, just I mean, like as a a technical standpoint. 
Now, if they could do it from like the mental capacity of in a game, it's on the line. You need to do this in order for your team to win. That's a whole other, you know, <laughs> thing. And that's, I think, really where where the the line between anybody who can kick a football and NFL kicker is is really drawn there. So. It, did he lose it? Because I mean, at the end of the day, like harkens back. It's not as big of a game, but it, it harkens back uh, to the old Buffalo Bills, and that absolutely ended his career. Mm. Uh, you know, he, Scott Norwood was done after that. Like it literally right. broke him that he missed that field goal, and he was incapable of being in the right headspace anymore to actually kick a football. So. You know, will yeah. will Tyler Bass have the mental fortitude to get through this because he's young and he has a lot of a career ahead of him that he could be kicking if he were to work his way through that and and do it. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, I think uh, otherwise though, everything was pretty spot on. You did a pretty good job looking through. You know what we've got going on. I, I think it's kind of nice though because it's it was I think pretty visually apparent whenever you would watch a game or hear any news. <laughs> really yeah. what was happening here so so the one question to kind of wrap up the bills segment of it is that like obviously like like we have no idea what's going to happen in free agency but as of this point when the mock drafts start like coming in like what's the position that's usually mentioned for the bills to be going after in the first round at least like in terms of with their top pick so i genuinely haven't been looking too much into that yet mm-hmm. Okay. Um, the, the playoffs definitely destroyed well, okay, my sure, desire. Sure. Um, if I had to guess, though, where it's probably going to be looking right now, is de- it's definitely going to be somewhere on the defense. Like, I think our offense is at a point where we could add one or two pieces, even probably just through free agency, and mm-hmm. be relatively okay. And, and have mostly the same offense going in, but our defense needs such an overhaul so that we can actually be prepared for the season. It's right. going to be something probably in the secondary. Okay, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That was kind of what, that was kind of what I would assume it would be corner. It would be either corner because like based on the mocks I've seen, the bills are picking, I think in the early twenties, if I'm not mistaken, like early. Mid- yeah. That sounds about right. Yeah, probably so, 24 yeah so around around there is when a lot of the corner prospects like start to like come off the boards and a lot of mock drafts like it's a very offense heavy mock, like draft pool if according to my initial read so but there are hey i'll take that because again we need defense so the further good defensive players get pushed down the board yeah i mean there that i think there are a lot there are several like pretty good corner uh slash safety prospects that are slotted for the second half of the first round so if that's the case, I think that'll that'll fall pretty nicely into like what the bills are looking for. So, all right, well, let's move on to the Bengals here. And uh, I decided that uh, I would start in uh, probably one of the sillier places to start, and it's the stats because you know they're not usually as honest as you'd like them to be. But <laughs> they're at least I thought I thought a pretty good jumping off place, at least for your defense. Uh, the offense I gave a bit of a break at this particular part of my exercise, just because with Joe Burrow going down, I don't think it's really very fair the totality of your season to judge it based on numbers. Yeah, but you Cons- can, but still they do well. Yeah, true. Okay. 
I see your point. Yeah, I, it's some of I, like again, some of them bear out. But when the most important position, who literally touches the ball every play, is not the guy you planned on having for the entire season, it, that affects literally everyone else on it and brings them down to a degree. Yeah, regardless of how well he's doing, you know. So I, I, yeah. I, I didn't want to take try to take too much from that. Mm-hmm. The defensive stats, on the other hand, I found rather troubling. Um, there was literally say. only, yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I, again, it's, it's, and, and it, it kind of sits where the bill sat too. It's, if you have a really good offense and you have a defense, that's just clearly not holding water in games and making your offense carry too much of the load is what it looked like. I, I, I went through every meaningful stat I could find, and there was only one that your defense hit top 10 within, and that was interceptions, and it was 10th. I mean, mm-hmm. not a terrible stat to, to have as a top 10, but also turnovers tend to be fluky from year to year and, and something yeah. that's kind of hard to really base any kind of, of consistent – production off of so while it's nice that you know they did hit top 10 somewhere it's not exactly the stat i would hope for because everything else was at best middle of the pack and more than likely bottom 10 Mm -hmm. so there's clearly a lot of help that is needed on the defense and i it just it it seems like i guess Again, from where all the stats were, there was not really a lot of overall production from just about anybody on the field. Um, maybe there was a collective bit, but like they're just none of the numbers really jumped off the page at any point. And looking through a few of just like the personal stat lines and stuff like that, nobody mm-hmm. seemed to have like an enormous year where they kind of came out and just like made that difference for the defense, which it seems like a lot of like some of those higher ranking defense, they have at least one or two guys who do that, you know, a la the Steelers yeah. and TJ, you know, TJ Watt and the Bosa's and, you know, the, those kind of name guys. Hell, Chris Jones in the playoffs. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> the dude goes up in the playoffs. Well, I mean, we yeah. know that from experience. Yeah, clearly. So it's an unfortunate experience. But so it it seems like that was a problem. And so then I decided to go and look through your free agents at that point. And the thing that I found, again, mildly troubling is that it seems like your defense is stayed mostly intact outside of like DJ Reader, who seems like is going to get at least a decently sized contract. Uh, whether it be from you guys or somebody else, I, I right. from what I saw, estimates were somewhere in like the fourteen million dollars a year range. Um, but you know, good news for you guys, despite all of that, is uh, quite a bit of cap space, fifty three million going into the off season with. So, like the ability to keep some of these free agents. But again, the troubling part of the free agency thing. Uh, issue is your offense is the one that seems like it's actually getting decimated by it. Both Higgins and Boyd are unrestricted free agents. Both right. of your backup quarterbacks are either uh, McCarron's an unrestricted free agent and uh, Browning is a restricted free agent, but again, both free agents. A couple of your linemen are free agents and it feels like you finally got some cohesive play out of them this year where they weren't just a turnstile for defensive ends to come barreling through um and and so with all those free agents kind of leaving on the side of 
like your your team where you kind of felt comfortable where it was kind of starting to click and things going on it feels like that's probably where the money is going to have to get spent a little bit whether it be on either Higgins or Boyd I I don't know if you'd want to keep both I mean both obviously had some pretty good production and have done you know well but I would imagine both would get paid decently as well. And so it's kind of hard when you already have Jamar Chase, who I don't think has hit his payday yet, but when he does, it's going to be big to be paying two other wide receivers, wide receiver two money. You can't really afford that too much. So I would imagine one of them probably has to go. And then, I mean, they need to figure out the backup quarterback position like that. At this, I, I know Joe Burrow's only been hurting two of you know the past four years or whatever, but backup quarterback is important, and Jake Browning proved why. So whether it lock him back up and keep him ready to go, because I, I haven't looked into Joe Burrow's uh, injury lately, but I, I, I guess you know when you get your chance to talk on that, you know, is he going to be ready for the start of the season? Is everything going to be good and, and set for him to make that start and be a hundred percent for that? Um, and so I think realistically, it, it feels like with the amount of cap space that you've got available, and with the free agents that are leaving, and with the amount of help like your defense desperately does seem to need, I feel like it, you know from the outside looking in, it, it seems like free agents probably are going to be uh, a big part of what kind of helps remold pieces of your team. And I'm sure there's probably going to be a few good ones coming out from defenses here and there mm-hmm. um, that you guys can pick up for reasonable prices. Because again, you now have a bit of a pedigree of playoff appearances, especially Joe Burrow sitting there. Like that's the pitch right there is you have Joe Burrow. So, you know, that that gets you some people in the door right there and lets you do that. And then, uh, you know, um, I haven't, again, looked at too much of the draft stock stuff, but I've got to imagine because you're picking late teens would be somewhere in that. Okay, yeah, because, again, you just missed the playoffs. So you're kind of in that same nebulous zone that we are of, you know, there, there's going to be some stuff available. You're never really too sure what it is. But, again, with the lack of production, it seems like you've had through most of your defense. It, it wouldn't surprise me if that secondary or, you know, where, where we talked about kind of that run happens in that late round. It happens for you guys as well. Yeah, and you you touched on I think most of the parts like you you were right on that the defense was like to be perfectly honest pretty bad last year like in, especially in terms of they gave up a lot of explosive plays like I think like we we touched on it previously when we were discussing the safeties but losing two veteran safeties who are like who are vocal leaders and kind of coordinate the defense in Vondell and especially in Jesse Bates because Bates was an absolute absolutely terrific in atlanta in his first year so so and you replace that with uh basically a second year player who was essentially a rookie because he didn't play much in dax hill and basically a cheap uh mid cheap mid, mid-level pickup in nick scott who was not good and then later ended up getting benched for a rookie jordan battle who played much better and i think that chaos in the back of the secondary when you factor in that uh 
Cam Taylor Britt, who is second year quarter cornerback, he was very good, but like Chidobia Uzie, the erstwhile cornerback one, like he was coming back from a torn ACL and he definitely did not look like the underrated, like very good cornerback that he was for the years the years prior. And I think that put a lot of stress on the secondary and that in turn impacted like the rest of the play. And you also mentioned that like there really wasn't someone that statistically jumped out. I think the only exception might have been Trey Hendrickson because he did end up with 17 and a half sacks. And but on, if you take out Hendrickson, like the the Bengals D line and anybody who's watched the Bengals and kind of tracks the Bengals will tell you this: they really can't get any pressure on the quarterback unless, with the exception of Trey Hendrickson, because Sam Hubbard is a more or less a you know the style of defensive end who kind of sets the edge and defends the run and but he's an effort pass rusher not a not a you know not a gifted pass rusher if you will and he doesn't have like the technique he it's yeah, more of a, a he's a motor a, guy basically. he's gonna wear you down and he's gonna get there yeah 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 like because so he'll get he'll get like what six or seven sacks a year but there are mostly like cover sacks or effort sacks and like like we i think when they drafted Miles Murphy in the first round last year, I think there were a lot of hopes that he'd get a lot of like reps in because the the pass rush really needed an ejection of athleticism and youth. But Murphy, for reasons that are still a little bit unknown, like didn't really get going until like the second half of the season, and even so, that was mostly in kind of like you know a substitute package role because. Hendrickson and Hubbard are pretty much locked in as a starting end. And with DJ Reader, like, so one thing that complicates DJ Reader is that I think around like week 14 or so, he suffered a torn quad. And he's, I think, what, he's what, 30 years age now? So the Bengals, the Bengals historically have not given contracts to guys that are 30 plus. And when you factor in that his torn quad might impact him basically for the beginning of the season for the upcoming season like that's that's a very big question mark as to exactly like what's going to happen but the difference when dj reader is there and he isn't there is really apparent especially when they're defending a run but this year because the defense of the whole collapse even when reader was there they couldn't really defend a run very well a lot of explosive runs given up and i think the one the games they won because of the defense were because they were very very opportunistic in the red zone like the rams game or the seahawks game so and with the secondary, like the secondary is really, really young. So with the on, the only exception with is, is Mike Hilton, and Hilton is a very good slot corner, but a slot corner means you're not on the field all the time. So the majority of the snaps are going to go to Cam Taylor Britt now in his third year, DJ Turner in his second year, Dax Hill in his third year, Jordan Battle in his second year. Like that's a very, very young secondary. Yes. So, so. Like you could make the argument that they'll grow. To, they they went through a trial by fire last year and might be, be might be like much better collectively this year. But the, other, the flip side of that is that maybe they really don't put maybe not all of them put it together. And like CTB has been a pretty good player like since he came in, but the others are still very much question marks. And it's also a question of what they're going to do with Ouzie because Ouzie was on like a seven million dollar contract like annually and that was very good value for for a player that was playing maybe not like say Tredavious White at Jalen Ramsey level but like the level right right below it essentially and last year like that torn ACL really affected him and 
I don't know what's gonna happen. I like it's uh, Uzi might be gone, DJ Reader might be gone, and so this year I think marks a lot of like changes that are gonna be happening in terms of like the three-year window that the Bengals just had, and where they were labeled as contenders, and for two of those years they legitimately were. And then on the offensive side, you mentioned like the big, the big issue that gets brought up all the time right now is T. Higgins' situation because Higgins is now an, a free agent, and I think starting tomorrow, that's the that's the the period the period opens for a franchise tag, and it does like this is an inside detail that I don't I don't think a lot of like non Bengals fans know, but uh last last year like well not last year but the year before. Jesse Bates had a contract dispute, and he ended up playing on the franchise tag on his last year in Cincinnati. And he has the same agent as T. Higgins. Like, and he, that agent, David Mulligetta, is known as a very tough negotiator and gets very, very good deals for his clients, which is a good thing for the player, definitely. But when you're trying to manage a roster, that becomes a bit of an issue. So I think Tyler Boyd is as good as gone. Like, like. Like Boyd's been a very good player for the Bengals since like he came in as a second round pick, and he has definitely like been a very serviceable and very reliable player for the most part of his Bengals career. But he's now what twenty eight, twenty nine, and he's set up for the slot. So he was like, I don't like if he's probably going to get paid like ten million ish. Like maybe a little less, like because of age. But and I and as you mentioned, like it's. Like when you have Jamar Chase's extension coming up, like he's eligible for an extension right now, but it remains to be seen whether they'll do it, we'll do it this offseason or the next. <clears throat> but when you factor in like the T. Higgins situation and how the three receivers, Chase, Higgins, and Boyd, are very tight, they're very good buddies, and you're not, you're not gonna be able to keep them all. And then the Higgins situation looks like it's gonna probably go to the franchise tag, and then. And then after that, we'll see how it goes. Like, and if the, if the franchise tag is is what Boyd's Higgins, that's twenty million, and that really means that Boyd, is, there's no room for Boyd whatsoever. So I think Boyd's as good as gone. So it will be up to the two rookies receivers they drafted, plus whatever receiver I think they draft in this year, like in the later rounds, to kind of fill that slot receiver position. Uh, regarding the backup quarterback, though, with I think they the with Jake Browning, he's not a he's not a tried and true restricted free agent. He's an exclusive rights free agent, which yeah, far, that's right. As far as I understand it, so they can lock him down at least for one more year. So I think that's what they'll do. Like it's a, as far as I understand, it's like what like one point five million ish, and that's pre- oh, a pretty that's good deal a for deal that's then. A pretty good deal. That's a pretty good deal for a backup quarterback who's shown that he's more than capable of filling in for Burrow when like if Burrow takes a knock, God forbid, but. <laughs> Like, and and as you mentioned, like like you mentioned also the offensive line, like Jonah Williams, their right tackle, who was the left tackle before Lander Brown got signed. Like he put up a fuss about he wanted to be traded because he wanted to play left tackle, but he buckled down. He played right tackle pretty solidly, although I think he, it's kind of unfortunate that I think he's on the Bengals of all places because Jonah Williams like is a bit of a like an undersized technician, and Unfortunately, he happens to play in the same division as athletic freaks like Miles Garrett and T.J. Watt. <laughs> so, so I personally think if he if he exits this division, then he I think he'll be a better player than most people realize. But I have a hunch for Jonah Williams is gone, and if that's the case, they need a new right tackle. 
I think that's why so many mock drafts have the Bengals taking either offensive tackle or an interior defensive tackle with the first round pick. Like, so, like there are there are se- as far as I understand, there are several pretty good offensive tackle prospects that are lined up for around the middle, like the from the top ten ish onward. There's two good ones that are probably going to be gone by pick seven. And then there's about four or five that are like, depending on who's picking, like will be available probably between 10 and 20. So like that. And I meant, as I mentioned with the DJ Reader situation, that's the other slot that I think a prime first round pick can be slotted in to kind of do the, do what reader did. If reader isn't brought back. So, and so like they do have a lot of cap room, but when you factor in that Higgins will probably get tagged, that's twenty million of that gone. Like they'll have what around thirty million to p- to play with, and the Bengals, like um, to their um, to their misfortune, they don't use kind of the you know how you're because you're the Bills fan, like you know how like they structure contracts in Buffalo, so there's void years and kind of delay and put up put off like payments to lower cap hits to kind of go all in. The Bengals have really never done that. I, it's that's not how their front office operates. I think I don't think that's how their ownership operates. So, like over the past like what several years, they've always had about at the very like ten million ish cap space remaining at the end of free agency. So it's so the room's a bit tighter than I think you might imagine. And the Bengal Renaissance began because they they hit on a lot of like uh, mid level free agents who outplayed their contracts, like Mike Hilton. Trey Hendrickson because he's what paying he was paid what fifteen million and he turned out to be I think the best probably the best defensive FA signing that the Bengals have ever ever done. Awuzie uh, was playing for seven million. He was a cornerback one before his torn ACL. So like yeah, I think that's what yeah I think that's what that's kind of how they'll go in terms of free agency. I don't think they'll go for a big name. I think they'll go for like piecemeal like piecemeal like kind of undervalued players around like the five or six million area. Of course, this is also what they did last season and Nick Scott and Nerf Smith were unmitigated disasters. So you can see how that doesn't quite always work out according to plan. Like Yeah, that so, definitely is tough. Yeah. So we, that's you, and you're not wrong about the cap. Like yeah. that's that's the cap is like an agreement between management and the front office. Mm-hmm. Like that's it's a it it is a weird thing that you can play with and and yeah being a Bills fan I definitely get to see like the the different side of it which I you know I always looked enviously at the Saints and was like why can't we do that well because well, it is not nice. now do you <laughs> no not I mean again I if if I were a different franchise say hell even you know the Bengals right now I would still envy the way that they play with their cap. Oh yeah, I do. That that I definitely agree with. I mean, I, I wouldn't I'm, envy the decisions they're making, but I would envy the way that they play with their cap. Hell, I, hell, I envy what the Browns are able to do in terms of cap spending. Like uh, as as regarding who they're spending the cap on, that's a different issue entirely. But they're they're able to yeah. use like the techniques like void years and backloading contracts and to kind of go all in basically. And the Bengals like their their general managers are. The general manager has pretty much said that that's not really how we operate. Like we want to kind of go like how this is and kind of always have a little bit left in the left in the in the chamber, so we will. So 
you know, it really is interesting because it kind of shows like having me, you and Brad mm -hmm. and, and looking more critically at all three of our teams collectively. It, it shows the stark contrast and the meaningfulness of, say, coaching staff, of front office, of ownership. Right. Because like Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, Patrick Mahomes, they're all elite quarterbacks i'm willing right. and like obviously i'll put patrick mahomes above everybody else because he now has the pedigree yeah, and he, you know he's won the games you know and but if we're ranking quarterbacks right now i'm putting all three of them in the top five pretty comfortably mm -hmm. because they're all great fucking quarterbacks yeah. So at that point, the best we have to look at as far as what differentiates our teams and consistent success and all of that from one another does come down to front office, does come down to coaching staff, does come down to ownership. And so we get to look at those disparities between our teams and go like, oh, well, that's how meaningful this action is, is another game or two, is a Super Bowl win. Right. And it's kind of, I think, like, a lot, of, if you look on, like, Bengals, like, Twitter or, like, fan spaces, like, they'll constantly express a lot of, like, frustration that there's no, they've never really gone all in, so to speak. Like, they've never done, you know, like, borrowing from the future to go, to have their best shot. And, like, it's, like, they've done pretty well for themselves in the past couple of years. So like, you can't really criticize them that heavily, but you always have to wonder a little bit about what if, like, what if, what if, and the other, the, and the one other thing I'll say is that with like, with the exception of like the kind of like the no, no brainer picks like Burrow and chase, the, the Bengals really haven't drafted very well in the last couple of years. Like, there, sure, there have been some very serviceable players like Cam Taylor Britt, Jordan Battle, and Evan McPherson, but they like if you look at it, like you, you have to kind of kind of consider like the champions and also like the runners up, like with the Chiefs, like they they got contributions out of their sixth and seventh rounders like over multiple years, and they formed like they they put, like guys like Pacheco, guys like uh who am, like who am I thinking of in this? like guys guys like Trey Smith. Trayton was a sixth-round pick. Isaiah Pacheco was a seventh-round pick. Uh, guys like Justin Watson, like those guys are all very late picks, and they all managed to play like meaningful roles for the Chiefs, and that led them to a Super Bowl. And when I look at the draft history, the Bengals, especially in the later rounds, like with the only, I think with the notable exception of Evan McPherson and potentially Andre Oshivas, they've they've gotten virtually nothing out of the late rounds of their draft, and like. You can have all the super uh, the like firepower and like stars you want, but you need also like meaningful contributors that play like what fifteen twenty meaningful snaps and don't get you killed. And unfortunately, I think that caught up to the Bengals in very like critical situations because the guy that got beat for the sack on the final play of the Super Bowl was a seventh rounder. So because he was obviously he was playing there because of injury, but and like trace, but you know. You find starters like George Kittle was a fifth rounder. Tolano Hufanga was a sixth rounder. Like the teams that get the teams that make it to the top, like to the final games, like mostly have guys that like they that they picked up in the late rounds who made play meaningful snaps. Like what you saw with the Rams who supposedly went all in in 21 and got the Super Bowl. 
now they have meaningful contributors from the draft in terms like guys like Puka Nakua, Steve Avila, Kobe Turner, like, and the Bengals. I'm genuinely still mad about that. Yeah, I so am I. <laughs> if I could be a wonderful boy, I wouldn't be so mad. But hey, what can we do? So like this draft, I think is really critical because like this is the this is the off season when the Bengals like they a lot a lot of players are gonna change and they've already lost their offensive coordinator who went to coach in Tennessee. So it's and uh the defensive coordinator who was like in in hot demand the last off season. He suffered. He like he and his defense were absolutely embarrassed. Like over the course of last season, so it's a it's a time of cha- it's a time of transition, really in Cincinnati. I definitely understand how those years look, and it's deeply unfortunate when you feel like it's happening and you've got a quarterback there who gives you the shot. So, yeah. but again, you have the quarterback. So realistically, you get a couple of the right pieces, and it doesn't matter anymore anyway. Because that's that's it. That when it comes to the NFL, if you as long as you have the quarterback, there are deficiencies that don't matter. Yeah, there are deficiencies that can be can be papered over until all yeah, the you, yeah, you can have like one or two really glaring issues, and it just doesn't matter because your quarterback is just good enough to win anyway. Right. Well, so, I mean, you're so you're in the, that fortunate so position. The, so far, the one that's proved it is Patrick Mahomes. Like, well, it remains to be seen if any of the uh, second, any of the quote unquote eight one uh, tier one, tier two quarterbacks that we have now, guys like Burrow, Allen, Herbert. I mean, look, Lamar. now that we're out of the postseason, we can talk about success as a more macro scale. All <laughs> of those quarterbacks are successful. Oh yeah. No question. Like their win loss records, their stats that they put up, all of that I would consider extraordinarily successful. The one and done nature of the playoffs and the Super Bowl make it so very, very difficult. And teams, teams like the Patriots and teams like the Chiefs are genuinely out here ruining it for everyone else. And it's not just it's not just because they're taking away the opportunity to win from everybody else. It's because they're making it look easy to a point where you look at everyone else and go, why aren't you doing that? Because only one of 32 gets to. No, no further comment on that. I agree wholeheartedly there. Like, like when you think about it, like with the bit like. The dy- the two dynasties that we've had in the last twenty years in football, the Patriots and the Chiefs. You look at the Super Bowls that they won. So many of them they won like with by one score. Like the Chiefs have obviously won the last two by a field goal, and the Patriots obviously they they were fortunate enough to win. Like obviously the Seahawks won. That's that was that was one of the, that that's basically. A champ, a championship and a legacy decided by one play call. Uh, the twenty-eight-three game, like that, those kind of things, like there, it's by the slimmest of margins, and kind of like how the foot, kind of like how football bounces in so many random ways. Like one small decision can basically mean the difference between being immortalized as a champion and being kind of the footnote in his in football history. So it's a cruel sport. More more so, I think, than any other sport because of its best-of-one nature. Yeah, I think that really does it. 
it it gives the opportunity for deserving teams to never get what they do deserve and for undeserving ones to eke out Mm-hmm. that that little bit i mean because l- let's be completely honest and it's coming from an afc east fan the undefeated season the patriots deserved that super bowl <laughs> and the giants absolutely did not and yet because of the one of one nature because if that was a best of three do you think the giants end up winning that super bowl oh, no no i think they get stomped two more times <laughs> like they relied on a lot of flukes to win that game. I mean, the the most the most famous play from that Super Bowl is basically the greatest of fluke plays ever. So. Ever, yeah. I mean, it literally acquired like three low low percentage events to occur in order to even happen. So, otherwise, we're talking about how the Patriots also have an undefeated season. Right. <laughs> and like, this is going a bit off topic, but you know, like you, you've seen, have you, I would assume that you're not, mo- you're not most on Twitter much for the sake of your mental health, but apparently <laughs> a- in the immediate aftermath of the Super Bowl, like, I think there was a pretty big fight on Twitter regarding like, who is the goat regarding Brady and Mahomes. And, oh, let me tell you, it was, it was, fu- it was, it's kind of like, you know, watching a car, watching a car wreck in slow motion. And then, and then the two guys in the car come out and start like throwing haymakers at each other. It was, it was like you, you're fascinated by it because it's so stupid, and also you kind of want to like, blow, you kind of want to rip tear your eyes out because it's so stupid. <laughs> that is an apt description. <laughs> well, I think we have pretty much covered just about everything we uh, came here to cover and overshot what a normal podcast would be. So I think we killed it. That that seems uh, like a pretty successful time for us. I think Eric would, Eric would be like, uh, he, he'd he appreciate the fact that I think all of us, both of us like rambled on for long, long diatribes at a time. Like that's kind of what Eric does. So I think we're, we, we're following the main of his podcast. We were channeling our inner Eric. And one last time for you, Eric, um, if you are still listening, the word is Sasquatch. Sasquatch. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the distraction was on its way. <laughs> and on that note, uh, I I think we're going into a bit of a dark period here because uh, we're all just waiting on the draft and the combine and all of that good stuff coming up. So there will be a couple of podcasts here and there when we find time, maybe some more after dark ones on some random topics we decide to come up with as well. Yep. Um, but until we talk to you all next time, I'm Mason from Buffalo. Here's CYB from South Korea. <laughs> and we don't know how to end one of these, so we will talk to you all later. <laughs> Oh no, I was going to be ready for this this time.